I'm Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theater. Welcome to the Movie Musical Monday podcast. This series of recorded conversations explores all our favorite film musicals, from Broadway adaptations to Hollywood originals, as our rotating host and guest conversationalists open a discussion in which you are invited to participate. Today's movie musical is the 2007 film adaptation of the 2002 Broadway production Hairspray, itself a musicalization of John Waters' original 1988 movie. Today's host is Porchlight Production and Operations Director Alex Ryan, with guests Lillian Castillo, who has played Tracy Turnblad at the Phoenix Theater, Arkansas Rep, and the Drury Lane Theater, and E. Faye Butler, who's played Motormouth Maybell both at the Paramount and Marriott Theaters. Let's go to the conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, I want to give uh, E. Faye and Lillian the opportunity to introduce themselves and talk a little bit about what they think of the movie before uh, we get the conversation going. And uh, I'm excited that we're here talking about uh, Hairspray. So uh, Lillian, do you want to start us off? I know Michael already did a great intro about what you've, uh, what roles you played and, and uh, everything, but uh, mm-hmm. why don't you just uh, kind of kick off the conversation? Sure. Uh, yeah. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hi. Uh, my name is Lillian Castillo. I played Tracy Turnblad three times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it like was one of the best things in my life. I really loved it. Um, I, uh, I am... Not a huge fan of the movie. I am, I want to sit, go on the record as saying, I'm always happy when they turn uh, musicals into movies because I really want to uh, expand the fan base of the medium to people who maybe don't go to theater that often. Maybe that'll draw them to come see those shows uh, live because there's nothing like it, right? Um, I, <laughs> there are just a number of things about the, the movie that I don't love. But before I go into that, I'm going to let Ife introduce herself real quick. Hey, Ife. Well, they thank you, Pumpkin. <laughs> well, they picked a really sad group today when they got you. Because <laughs> I don't like the movie either. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's because, I, I don't know, it's because I remember the original version and, you know, there's some characters in it that, that, I don't know. I remember the original version and it sticks with me. Maybe that's a bad thing. Um, I thought it was a little bit, even though it was still set in the same time period, it mm-hmm. had a too much polish on it for me. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. thing that I like about uh, Hairspray is there is an earthiness and a realness to it no matter what side you stand on about race relations and even the music, the sound of the music was just, it was a little bit too slick <laughs> for me when yeah. I saw the seven version, the 2007 version. So when you're talking about the original, are you talking about original John Waters uh, yes. version? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, something a- about that that really resonated with me when I saw the musical, you know, uh, first and I've seen it so many times that I love that when I saw 07 I was like man that was not one you had to redo yeah there was a there's a grittiness that's missing right there's something that I don't know what that is and I just say it's a slickness that just kind of makes me go okay you know what it is I for me the thing about it is when I saw it originally I believe that Tracy was Tracy mm-hmm. I believed that Edna was Edna Mm-hmm. When I see 07, I believe Michelle Pfeiffer is, you know, John Travolta is, da da da, Queen Latifah is, not necessarily Motor Mouth is Motor Mouth. You, mm-hmm. If you know what I'm saying as artists when I say that. I think so. Well, I, well, oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just saying we've started quite a conversation here and, and going back and forth on your guys' thoughts on the, uh, movie i would like to open it up to other people's uh, takes on it and if they agree or disagree we got austin packard yeah i i was just gonna say this is the first hairspray i ever saw so this is the one that i compare all other hairsprays to so i still kind of love the movie i will say 
a big part of it though I, I, it's weird just the level of star power they put into us of just how many recognizable celebrities and you're right you do just kind of see them as the celebrities playing characters not as the characters um but i i really enjoy it but i think a big part of that is because this is how i was introduced to it what about frankie i know you had your hand up uh yeah it, it's so funny my i will admit in 2007 my tiny little queer self um saw this movie in theaters 10 times um i thought it was the most important movie musical of my time and i was like retroactively entered into the hairspray world because i thought it was just I, I was laughing so hard and it was so beautiful and whatnot but then when i finally worked backwards to the john waters film i went whoa, we lost the entire point of this story by getting to 2007, is that, that like you said perfectly, there's an earthiness, there's a grittiness that's gone. And I just rewatched Your Timeless to Me before this all started because I was like, oh, I must have skipped that when I was watching it. And I said, I was only laughing at that because it was Christopher Walken and John Travolta. I was not laughing because I saw this beautiful couple like having a moment together. I was laughing because they turned it into a laughing moment. So across the board, it was a piece of theater that, or a movie musical that meant a lot to me, but after even just five years, and now that it's been a decade old, it's, uh, it's lost a little bit of its magic, which is really hard, but when you can admit that, it makes it a more powerful conversation. Um, I was going to say, I mean, you know, rewatching it now, one of the things that they did with the movie that I was like, I don't love that, is that they cut that everybody goes to jail. And some people do that even with the live action musical, they'll cut out that uh, big dollhouse number, yeah. you know, which I'm just like, no, 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 no. The reality is like, these people were going to jail. These protesters going to jail. Protesters are going to jail today. You know, this is not, um, this, you know, in the movie, Tracy runs away which I could have, you know, they could have done something with that where, you know, there's people who, who mean well, who show up and then they get scared and they run away. And they could have addressed that in some way. If you're going to change that in the movie, um, maybe you can address that particular topic. But she runs away and they never address that sort of thing. So why cut out the reality of these people going to jail? And I love that number, Dow House, for many well, reasons. Me too. It kind of reminds me of Hey Big Spender, the, you know, the kind of girl's number like that. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of um, uh, the number in Chicago, you know, when they're in the jail. It kind of reminds me of those kind of classic musical numbers that the women have in like, in like musicals at that time where they just stop and these women are in jail and they sing about it. And <laughs> some of it is real and honest and some of it is kind of, you know, shocking. You know, the reality of it um, and how they get out of it. Uh, all of those things to me are part of what made that rich when you do the dollhouse number, you know, because it says a lot because there are relationships that are formed in that number that we kind of lose when, like you say, you just take it away. You miss kind of some of the bonding that the women do that were on, you know, were at odds before they went to jail. So I kind of miss that a little bit when I'm watching, you know, 07. So, yeah, and they they also uh, brought on the screen uh, writer to uh, bring down the campiness, as they called it, from the staged version, you know. And I don't know what you guys feel about that. I mean, there's still some very comedic moments, even in the editing of, you know, uh, the fireworks going off during the Welcome to the '60s or the Shooting Stars and the billboards coming to life and, you know, her picture coming to life. Um, but, uh, you know, they uh, wanted to bring, you know, less uh, comedic campiness, corny things to it. And I thought it was really campy. I guess I missed that part that they were trying to pull out. <laughs> With yeah, the, yeah. It, it's, because it kind of, sem that's what it kind of felt like to me. So I must have missed that part. The thing about hairspray uh, and for me, it was like, we are campiness. This is sometimes a bitter pill for people to take when they have to, they're forced to look at their history, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that campiness covers that bitter pill in a sugary coating, which sometimes makes it easier for people to swallow. And yes, it is a sugary coating. And yes, we're soft serving it up. But sometimes soft serving it is the only way that people take something in. So I think that they underestimate the gift that campiness is mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. or this particular show? I think, to your point, Alex, I think that when the, the people making the movie talked about removing the campiness, that's, that's a, a code switch for we didn't want the movie to look too gay. And I think that really personified by the fact that they had such a straight man play Edna. He could John Travolta as a woman can't be threatening to middle America because it's Danny Zuko in a dress. It's not Harvey Firestein. It's not divine, you know, and I and that to me, although I love a lot of the movie, that to me was a was a loss was that they they took the the particular gay sensibility out of it. And while I think Ife and Lillian are right, there's still a lot of campy moments to it. None of those campy moments veer into something super gay. Yeah, I, I also have an opinion about that. Um, so uh, it's always interesting, interesting to me when I watch a movie that that takes out the campiness. When I think about that, it's I, sometimes because it's television, I feel like they're doing it because they're trying to make light of the situation, make it a joyful moment when it's really serious. Perfect example is. On the opposite perspective, I think it's Scottsboro Boys and the reason why they made it so raw and mm. why it has the campiness in it. Because the reality of, of, of what, what it was and the, what the real struggle is, I think, and I might be contradicting myself a little, I think sometimes in television, they think that that's the great way to put the message through, which sometimes they just need to be honest and raw with it. Um, uh, I kind of experienced that when I was working on that project. I don't know how anybody else thinks about it, but I think that television and 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 film in general does that with true stories and things that people really don't want to have true conversations about. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but. I absolutely agree with you, Chris. I know I was fortunate to do it twice. And I tell you, my first experience was not a good experience with Hairspray because, um, you know, and I've had this conversation with many people and they've asked me about it because I did it at the Marriott Lincolnshire. And we know that's the North Shore suburbs. And I don't know if they actually took a really good look at that show before they decided to do it, really. Mm -hmm. Because as we got into it and as they began to develop the scenes, I found that the artistic staff was not really ready for a lot of the things that Tracy had to do or her girlfriend, they weren't ready for those scenes. They weren't ready for the scenes you know, uh, between the black and the white couple falling in love. They weren't ready for that. And so there were lots of restrictions put on us. And it was kind of weird at the time doing that play. And I said this to the powers that be. I said, I don't even know why you chose this because you're now putting restrictions on the very thing that this piece speaks to that we're fighting for every day. That people can love whomever they want to love, whatever package they come in, you know? It's about live and let live, and it's about bringing people together. But yet, and still, you don't want to—you don't want them to kiss on stage. Um, what is the? What is the? Well, you know what? I'm, your best friend's name. What's your? Uh, what's the character's best friend? What is Penny. 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 You don't want Penny to kiss a black boy on stage because your audience is uncomfortable. Well, they should be uncomfortable mm-hmm. if that's what they live in their wheelhouse. You know what I'm saying? I think that's okay. Maybe they'll question some things. You don't mm-hmm. really want to see a man, two men kiss because it's kind of weird. Well, no. It, you know, he's an actor performing with another actor. You don't really want a lot of the things, anything that what might push against anything that would make someone uncomfortable, which is the reason we're in the state as a country right now that we're in. Mm-hmm. Because when anybody feels uncomfortable, we say, stop, take it out. Let's make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's why we are where we are right now today is because we haven't we have to constantly go back and revisit these things. The second time I did it, I was so pleased and happy that that artistic staff said, you know what? We're out here in the suburbs of Aurora and if people get nervous, that's good. Maybe they'll go home and question themselves. Theater is supposed to invoke conversation. Things that we do are supposed to make you think. It's supposed to continue. To, you don't have to agree with everything that happens on stage or what happens in a film, but at least it invokes the kind of conversations we're having right now. And so yeah. having those two vastly different experiences, 
you know, it was quite, it was a quite a unique time with me for the simple fact that I didn't know if I wanted to do it a second time. Cause I didn't mm. want to come across that. Cause it kind of made me bitter a little bit. I feel like I yeah. had that in reverse. I feel like I had two really great experiences and like while working with the people that I worked with um, in my third experience, which was Drury, Drury Lane was really amazing. There were some glaring problems uh, as far as whether or not the production was ready to uh, take on, whether the theater was ready to take on the show. You know, mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest things and we, um, we spoke, um, so, okay, so we get to the very end of the show and the, 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 the show, the Corny Carlin's show becomes integrated, right? Um, at that point in my first two productions, black boys were dancing with white girls and mm -hmm. white boys were dancing with black girls. In my last production here, at first, <laughs> at first, she brought all of the black kids on with the white kids and there was still separation. And so we said something about it, separation as in all the white couples were in the front and all the black girls, we were like, no, 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 no. Um, so we said something about it. And her solution was to mix up the the cup the couples, but not split them up. Do you know what I mean? So yes. black was still dancing with black and white was still dancing with white, except for Penny and Seaweed. And that is a problem. And because I was in that production, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was one of those things where I think some of us physically just switched partners. We ended, I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> I do we remember. We were like, well, we still have to tell the story. And we would literally find ourselves waving across the stage to other people when we should be, what the message is at the end, you know, we're all one, we're all, we all bleed the same blood, mm -hmm. you know, and we all should come together. This is, we're all, we're all part of the same world, you know, accept who you are, love who you want to love, you know, whatever it may be. And, and you know what, Lenny? <laughs> yes. Sorry. I just, yes. Yeah. Well, and it was, you know, and that was in that production in particular, and Chris can speak to it if you want to, was it, from the beginning, as far as rehearsals riddled with problems of, I don't know about, I, I can only speak to, I felt like it, the, the rehearsal process was segregated um and like the the way that the show is set up it is it, it can it can happen within a rehearsal process where you're just working with the black kids or just working yep. with the white kids and so your cast ends up getting segregated but I had not experienced that in my first two iterations but with this one there wasn't an attention to that that there should have been um and so I felt like the the cast ended up being segregated and not only not only in the space but in the time that was put into the nicest kids scenes versus the motor mouth scenes you know like it it, it was a problem so <laughs> I, I, I you know and I, you know I respect the concept of him like you know this is how it was blah 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 but we literally did not see the white cast until two days before tech but now we know going forward, next time we do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I know this I know that I'll never get to do this show again. You know, I this this show is um for a number of reasons. Reason number one is I am not white. <laughs> you know, I, I am a no. fair skinned, I know, surprise! I am a fair skinned uh Latine person. And, and because of that, you put a wig on me and you put me far away from, far away in, from people. And they're like, oh, that's a white girl, you know? Um, and so I will not be auditioning for this show ever again. A, B, I'm also too old. But, um, <laughs> but going forward in the future, if I see this show, I want to be able to see what it's supposed to be um, in its full integrated beauty, you know? This is a uh, very important and uh, pivotal conversation to be having, especially with today's climate. I want to open it up. I know there's lots of people that uh, want to jump in here. Frankie, you had your hand up a while ago. Do you still have uh, comments? It's okay. I would, I, would, I would pay money to watch them all debate it anyway. But um, the, the two things that I was remembering is that what I think the 07 version lacked out of all of them um, minus the waters because it was it wasn't musicalized was that we lose Velma's revenge 
which mm-hmm. is such an important number because the audience at this point has been laughing at the villain. And she says some God awful lines in that number that even Christian Chenoweth in the live version still made me, you know, clench myself. And I've seen this musical countless times. And I think that in and of itself is the perfect example of why the 07 movie was a bigger conversation about weight and not as big of a conversation mm-hmm. about racism is that we lose the racist villain's big number. You know, it was a reprise, but she says some god-awful racist things in that number. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's that's one takeaway if anyone wants to jump off of that. And the second thing I saw, and I'll have to find the link of the article and share it and whatnot, is that someone also made an excellent point about Hairspray as an enterprise in general. And I always also feel this about the movie, is that the the 80s version, the, the protest, uh, well, and so does the... Um, live and stage version, so it's not completely accurate, is that the protest is in the middle of the show. And then we spend the whole second half of the show um, recovering from the protest and the arrest and whatnot all the way to You Can't Stop the Beat. But the 07 version essentially pushes the protest to the 11 o'clock number, which I think slightly distorts everything and puts the show at a weird catterwampus and whatnot because we put so much of the racial story in the last 15 minutes of the musical. Um, But more importantly is I know where I've been, no matter what version you're looking at it, is that um, the, uh, I'm blanking on the name, so you'll have to excuse me, I'll find the article in a minute, is that what's fascinating about Hairspray is we spent so much time with Tracy's perspective and the white perspective, white ally perspective about all of these characters, especially the 07 movie, that when we get to I Know Where I've Been is that we hear her say that but we don't know who Motormouth Maybell actually is, mm-hmm. you know? And so mm-hmm. the characterization of these Black characters is still reduced down to almost a prop in this musical. You have to bond with your cast when, you, when you're playing Motormouth, because if you don't, you don't have a reason, an impetus to do that song. Because that's a song that is a civil rights moving forward, strength, power, I'm here for you, all of you. It doesn't matter whether you're my child or not. I will protect you. I, it is what the civil rights movement was built on, you know, that we will care. And, um, and, and sometimes it gets thrown away by the first number you see Motormouth done and the wigs and the outfits and the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So I know I worked very hard at making sure that that one scene, because you only got one scene before you do that number, that it really was still as possible and focused so that it we had a chance to take take it in as small as it is but that's something you have to fight for and i agree with you that's something that they missed totally in the film totally missed it because when it all is said and done you know you can lose weight but you can't lose color you just can't lose that mm-hmm. it's going to be with you forever yeah. You know, you can lose weight, you can get pretty, you can put a wig on, but you can't lose your color. And I think sometimes productions gloss over that because they don't want to, let's not get heavy, just sing the big song and let's move on. And, get to and I'm sorry, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but there's an anecdote where I know where I've been was almost cut from the Broadway production. I know. And it just, and, and, and thankfully Shaman and Women fought for that, is that the producer said, no, this is not what this, it's like, no, this is, this is what this musical is about. Is it really what Hairspray is about? Is a different debate in terms of how it's written? But yeah. if we would have lost that, it, all all power that musical has would have been out the window. I absolutely agree with you, five hundred percent. Me too. Hi, I'm uh, I'm the granddaughter of Chuck and Diane, so thanks for having me. I'm this is exciting <laughs> to be here. Yeah. Yay! We're excited. <clears throat> But so I, I always feel that when I saw it, see it on stage, there's a lot more emphasis on the inequalities between black and white people. Whereas in this movie, like uh, like Ife said, just the whole thing was really polished. So even when we go over to, you know, like the black part of town, like I was like, well, this still looks kind of nice, you know, like, but <laughs> in, in reality, like that's not <laughs> what it was. And like they, you know, there was redlining and, and you know, Tracy Turnblad got, sent to detention because of her hair. And like, I mean, today kids who are black still get suspended for their hair. So it's, you know, it's, I, there was a lot that they could have, I mean, I, you know, it's 2007, so I'll give them that. But like, you know, they could have, it was not about racism at all to me. They made it so digestible for the audience that then it just lost all of the importance that it had. So that was what I was gonna say. 
I was about to say, you know, Amanda, you said it was 2007. And I'm like, yeah, it was 2007. Like <laughs> this, this show was set in the sixties when all of this was like, you know, there, I feel like there is no excuse for trying to, to cut that away into there just isn't in 2007. There isn't. <laughs> um, and like real quick, I, I, I am not, I don't enjoy the movie and I, but I do, there is one thing that I did appreciate one. That's not true. There's more than one, but one big one. Um, and that was that we got to see uh, Negro day, even for like a split second that we actually got to see that in the movie. Right. Um, that I loved that because it also had a split second comment, split second comment on the, uh, the the white people taking on songs written by black people, right? Because they transition with new girl in town from the night from uh, the white kids to the black kids, um, and and you know Velma calls her out and says, "How could you choose that song?" And she's like, "They wrote it," <laughs> you know. So it takes a a second to touch on that, which I appreciated, um, and yes. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to completely poo-poo. I would like to talk to going off of that. The choreography that I see in the movie has yet to be seen on stage for me. Um, and what I mean by that is the 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 embodiment embodiment of our culture, um, and truly seeing what it was, the freedom of the music, the freedom of the movement without apolog without apologizing. You know, and that's what was intimidating for me, I think, to a lot of white people back in the day, because we can move the way that they could move. And I miss that element from the stage production. I haven't yet to see a production. I mean, Broadway, Broadway was close, close. It was very, mm -hmm. very close. But, I, you know, in any regional production, I have yet to see the embodiment of the culture, because the, for me, the movement speaks volumes, because mm -hmm. it's expression. It's anger. It's it's rebellion. And like when I did Memphis, it's just like tear tear down the house. For example, was was a protest against um, against us dancing like these people and doing all this stuff. And we completely let go. And we 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 just went off. And I feel like from that's the whole reason they left them on television because they're entertaining that people like to watch. And um, just going into that and. I, that's one thing I do appreciate about the film version um, versus the stage version. Um, but New Girls in Town is everything. I can watch three black girls do everything all day. <laughs> That's another story. What about uh, when we've talked about these um, movie musicals? It, it's been um, great because we've you know done Hair and and uh, the Music Man and all that, and they all focus around. Uh, a specific time period, a decade. And, you know, here this puts us in the 60s and we're talking about how, you know, that that helps and the difference with the movie and the things then, but are still, you know, an issue now and the nostalgia of the 60s and maybe, you know, the, the TV show um, is one of those elements, but does anyone else want to kind of go down that hole and, and talk about period? Oh, I love the period um, because, that was a, you know, that's when, you know, on Saturday, you stayed home to watch Dan's shows. I remember, you know, all the way through the 70s. That was the greatest thing about getting up on Saturday morning besides having to clean the house. I didn't want to do that. But, you know, I knew that if I got up early enough, cleaned the house, I was ready for bandstand. I was ready for Soul Train. I could watch it all. <laughs> you know, I was ready for every dance show. And I learned all of my dances from watching television. Mm -hmm. because that's where you found out what the new hit was, what the new, you know, 45 was, what the new dance was that you could practice in your house. You know, you'd be like, I think I can do the boogaloo. Oh. And then you were, you were at a party and you were like, I can do the boogaloo. Can you do the boogaloo? And we would do it. So I miss that about our culture now that we don't have anything to look to, or even teenagers to look to that conform us and make us this united group. Because when we would watch a bandstand or a soul train, everybody knew how to do the soul train line. All you had to do was turn television. It didn't matter what color you were. 
you know, you were doing it in your house anyway. Um, and it kind of connected us in a way that we don't have those connections. It's like cartoons. It's like anything of the 60s. That was a great fun about the 60s. You had the Flintstones and you had all these great cartoons that were the Jetsons that just made you laugh and it made you light. And um, those kinds of things about the 60s with all of the turmoil that was going on around us. And there were lots of stuff going on. Civil rights, you know, was going on, everything that was going on. But it was great to know that on Saturdays, you had something to look forward to. Cartoons, bandstand, soul train. <laughs> and the Buddy Dean show, which is what yes! Hairspray was. Right. Uh, based on the Buddy Dean show in Baltimore um, yeah. was a two hour event ev like after school, you know, yeah. you came home and you were sitting in front of that television for two hours learning those dances. And, you know, mm -hmm. as the kids say today, standing their their <laughs> their favorite deaners. Right. And you know what? And, and at that time, every major city in the country had one of those dance shows in every major city that we all ran home to watch. I know I had, we had one in Chicago. They had them in Philadelphia, they had them everywhere. Everybody ran home. It was kind of the way to ensure that you would get home on time, your parents knew you were coming home because you wanted to watch that dance show. The, nothing specific about the time period because obviously I wasn't there, but I remember, <laughs> I remember the, the, the second time I saw it, this, uh, when the national tour finally uh, got to Appleton, Wisconsin, um, was that I took my mom. And um, for anyone who hasn't seen the original Broadway production, there's this great image. The very first thing you see is all these um, dancers and these different silhouettes. And my mom immediately teared up because it reminded her so much of her childhood. And I, one of the biggest gifts the show ever gave me i'm gonna cry about it and she's alive my mom is totally fine she's alive and well and living in north carolina um was it like afterwards it brought up so many memories for her and she told me all these stories about my mom as a teenager that i had never heard before and there was something about the show that just reminded her of all these things that she grew up with and that Speaking of the period was just like she felt like they got so much of the details about the period right, and it moved her and it inspired her to share a lot of her childhood with me, and that and and for that reason alone, I will always be so thankful to this show because it was just something that was really special to my mom and me, and to this day, it's one of her favorite shows. I always liked Timeless to me because it was the five minutes in the whole show that I got to have a break. <laughs> and I mean, you know, the, the people who played my parents in the different productions were always so beautiful here in at Drury Lane. It was uh, Michael uh, Lindner and um, Tim Kazarinski. And um, uh, in uh, my other productions, uh, D. Scott Withers, um, Dion Johnson, and oh my gosh, his name escaped my brain. I forgot my other dad. Um, but uh, <laughs> You know, they, it, it's such a beautiful moment um, of two people just loving each other, um, you know, and, and I loved that connection, but also five minutes to get some water and <laughs> have it all to myself. <laughs> this, uh, this film is filled with, uh, you know, so many recognizable names and, and stars. What about each of their performances, and we've touched on a few of them, but uh, looking back at the cast in, in this movie, what are people's thoughts on that? Uh, Frankie? I think we all know what everyone has said about Travolta. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, Travolta is always going to be that weird dichotomy, especially with his own politics and religion with that. It, you know, and he's been on record as saying that he needed something as big as Danny Zuko to go back to the musical world. And we all said, why? <laughs> you know, but um, just the, the, the role that always is like the crux of, a, of Hairspray working is Tracy. You know what I mean? And I would give my left hand to have seen Lillian and Ife do it. Um, but, you know, uh, it's just like they, they nail that casting down because they need someone fresh faced or, or something like that. And they've always like kept that tradition. And I wish they would have kept the tradition of a queer artist playing Edna. Um, you know, that will, that's a queer artist that, that makes you fall in love with Edna. Um, and Zac Efron, for what it's worth, <laughs> 
is again it's one of those examples of like he did his exact job he's a glossy was the glossy teen idol and it was a, never more of a perfect fit but again, knew you were watching Zac Efron and be Zac Efron. Um, but boy, did it work because if there's ever a character that it's just like, you could plunk any teen idol into that and boy, are they successful in it. Zac Efron nailed that track. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, Bill? I would say, Frankie, as opposed to, I'm not sure a, a, a queer artist doing Edna is as important as someone who can believably Get the point of I would have loved to see Christopher Walken play Edna. He could have made mm-hmm. it. You know, it needs to be someone that there's an I always felt like John Travolta was like channeling his inner, you know, his inner diminutive, you know, prissy self or whatever. It wasn't about he had, I found his portrayal more in some ways more offensive and disappointing than Harvey or Divine. I want to see a really someone who could take it head on and do it strong, but always keep that, you know, go down to the baritone or the bass when necessary. I'll and give you that point. For the character. Yeah, I, and I, I just queer out of tradition, I suppose. And I don't have the, I can't think of the other word, and so it may not be correct, is that Divine's Edna was not afraid to be ugly. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and even Harvey's, there's some ugly moments. And like, that's the reality is that we never see an ugly Edna moment in the 07 version. Even even when it comes to the protest, she doesn't join the protest willingly. She's looking for Tracy in the movie and like gets roped into it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, why, 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 why? <laughs> yeah. I was gonna add something too with the um, John Travolta versus Divine versus um, Harvey Firestein. I think that they really just were more encapsulating who Edna was. Because I remember when the movie came out, there were all these interviews where John Travolta, all he could talk about was, I really tried hard with the Baltimore accent. And it's like one of those things where you're like, well, no one's gonna know that you had a Baltimore accent. You weren't like, uh, no pun intended, but embodying who Edna was. And I think Divine with her history and Harvey Firestein with his history, um, it's one of those things that they could bring to this role of this woman who, is waiting to blossom and is also afraid for her daughter. And it's just all like, there's so many things that she's frightened of. And, you know, for John Travolta, it was like, I could have a, Balt- a Baltimore accent. Yeah, I just want to say, I love Allison Janney, Janney, who played, mm-hmm. who, Penny's mom? Is that her yes. name? Yeah, yes. Penny's mom. Thelma. No, no, yeah. not no, I just no. love Prudy, Prudy Pingleton. Yes, yes. Um, I just think she's a phenomenal actress and can really, you know, like with even one line, you just feel like you know her whole character. Like, I think it was at some point in the beginning, Amanda Bynes was like, sorry, Penny <laughs> was like, like there's, I'll have nothing if I don't have this TV show. And she said, nothing builds character. And you know, that's such an absurd line, but like, I believed it. So I, I don't know, I just could see her playing any part and I would love it, I think. Um, yeah, she's great. So we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but if we were to recast this or, uh, oh, Chris, do you want to jump in first? Oh, sorry. Just two people we haven't mentioned. Number one, the breakout discovery of the film, Elijah Kelly. Yes, 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 yes. I would watch him do anything ever. I know he had a, a brief recording career. He was in the Wiz Live. Um, I just thought he has everything that you ever want in a seaweed and then some. You know what I mean? His voice, his moves, his personality. Um, I just fell completely in love with him. He has yet to answer my marriage proposal, but like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got lost in the Actually, you know, the other big disappointment for me, this is maybe an unpopular opinion other than John Travolta, was Queen Latifah. She just felt very low energy to me through the whole movie. And then and then the fact that she's saying, I know where I've been, like an octave down or whatever it was, just sort of like took all the energy out of it. And now that's a low song to begin with. So you don't need to lower it. <laughs> Y'all, I did it with Felicia Fields. She took that thing down to the basement and it still rocked me. Okay. So yeah. I feel like it's not about the key, it's about delivery. Cause 
Felicia, I remember she would hold on to my arm and I could feel the electricity shooting through my body. And she was doing that thing in the basement. So yeah. Yeah. going yeah. back to what Ife said earlier, time with your cast. It was very clear that she just walked on the set and she ain't know none of those children there. And no. it's just like she didn't know the people around her. She, she, she didn't have anybody to reach out to. She didn't have a line to say, like, I know that's you. Sit your ass down. She didn't have that moment to connect with the people around her. And I think that had a lot to do with it. I agree. Absolutely. I have a question. Oh, sorry, sorry, Ife. Go ahead, go no. ahead. No, go for the question, baby. I have a question. Is she Was she too young? She I, get, always I, get, I get why you would say that. I don't think that it was a too young. I think she wasn't invested. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. I don't think she, I, I'm with Chris. She showed up on the set and she did her job. And because she brings the box office money in and I'm not mad about any of that, that's what she did. And I mean, that's what she was hired to do. But I don't think she invested in who who Mabel is, you know, Maybelle is. That's, that's a mother instinct. I don't care if it's a cat or a cow, you know, you have to have some kind of mother instinct to do Maybell. You have to, re- you know, you have to bring that up. That has to be genuine. You can't sing a song like that just because they gave you some sheet music and said, this is your part, go. You have to invest in that. And that was what I, my feeling was, is that it was kind of like, okay, this is the number you want me to do. You paid me enough. I'm going to come and I'm going to do it. And it's going to be cool. And y'all going to like me because I'm Queen Latifah. Again, I never saw May. I never saw Maybell. I just saw Queen Latifah doing hairspray. I, I kind of wish that they would have done what they did with Nikki, which is invest in it in, and with um, uh, Elijah. Go with people who are not known to- Sometimes it's best. To, to audiences, you know, turn them up. Like, yes, thank, you know, the, the, the box, office name, box office names are going to be a draw. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe just do one, just one. And then the rest of them, making these new fresh people go- to these uh, to these theater actors who are performing this show, take those people in, like because those are the people that have invested the time and and passion and because to this material. Yeah, because if you're gonna play a mama role, and it truly is, there's no doubt about that. It, you know, the role was crafted for exactly what it was to do. You have to take on that responsibility. And if you don't want to be the mother of, you know, of the den, then don't take, that's my feeling is don't take on that role if that's not something you want to do. But you can't gloss that over. Mama is mama. If you call her motor mouth, if you call her whatever you want to call that's mama. That's who you go to for your comfort, for your heart. And all the kids went to her. She's the mother on the block that you can always go to her house when your parents don't listen to you. You know what I mean? She's cool. She'll give you a sandwich, but she's not going to let you go wrong either. She's going to make sure you're doing the right thing. Um, that's what she is. You know, you know, you can talk to her. She's hip. She's cool. But she'll snatch you in the back of your head, too. <laughs> and for those that uh, don't know, um, they did that with the role of Tracy. Uh, brought in someone new for this uh, because Nikki... Uh, was part of a huge general audition pool and was what, 17, 18. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a whole story about her working at Coldstone, having this be her dream role and, and she got it. Um, and there's a handful of articles and uh, some uh, clips, a video about that. Uh, we have a few minutes left. So we always like to try and uh, end with the question of, you know, who would you cast? So we kind of touched on this a little bit, but if you were the casting director and uh, putting together this film now, uh, who would you want to see in it? Frankie? Mm. Um, I just highly recommend that everyone check out the hairspray lives that happened a couple years ago, just because I, it, it went back to stage actors and whatnot. And it is by no means a perfect iteration of that. Um, the live musicals are their own beasts and whatnot. But I just think if we, we went back to, we haven't touched on the Von Tussles a lot because they're an interesting part of the hairspray realm is that they're villains who don't actually like, insight villainous change they're just a lens of racism which is fascinating and i thought chenoweth and dove cameron i would see them do that in a revival um i just thought they nailed every part of it down to it um and most of that cast was pretty brilliant except ariana grande excuse me 
Um, and, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Allergy season. Um, and Somebody so, throwing stuff? Is it, was it but my first two picks in, in, in a new version of this would be Chenoweth and Dove Cameron. I would love to see with um, the magnification of, of drag culture in pop right now, I would love to see a drag artist, not an actor who is doing drag, but a drag artist in the tradition of divine back in, in Edna. So, you know, you're looking at a, a Delta work, you're looking at a, a, um, oh, what is her name? My name just escaped my brain. Huh? No, I can't think of her name. Okay. Anyway, you see what I'm saying? Um, I would think it would be interesting to do that. I would also, I wonder, I wonder what putting a trans woman in that role would do. I wonder what that would do. Um, mm. You know, uh, what, how does that change the feel of her? How does it, you know, I, I would be interested in looking at that. Um, uh, as far as casting, honestly, do you know what I really, really wish I saw more of is a production team that is led by black people. Um, I feel like this show is put on so often and run by white people. Um, and it, and it doesn't give the little time that they give to the black scenes. Don't get the weight and the honesty and the diligence that they deserve because they don't have any concept of the struggle. So if mm. I had to choose casting, I would love to cast a production team, uh, direction and, and, and um, choreography and design and that is all black. Period. If I do one more step touch and run and tell that, we're going to step touch shut for up. real. Shut up. Shut up. I have no recommendations for casting, but a question about casting. Is it important that Edna be a man in drag? And if so, why is it important? Why is that so critical to bring about the point of the show? I don't know if that's, I don't know if it has to be that way. I'm just thinking off the top of my head that maybe John wanted to make some inroads to knowing that love is love. People are people, and it shouldn't matter that when you pull the curtains back, it's still people, it's still love, and, you know, love who you love. I think that's the whole message of the piece. Black, white, you know, transgender, gay, straight, you know, whatever it is, just love who you love, as long as you're loving and not hating. That's, you know, big, small, tiny, long, short. I just think that's the message in it. So I don't know if that really makes a difference, but I think that might have been where he was going with that because it's a diverse cast in that way. I, I think I'm in, I think I'm squarely in the camp of it does make a difference. Um, I think that uh, there is an otherness uh, that general public uh, like psychologically sees when they see a man in a dress. I mean, maybe not so much now, it's becoming much more mainstream, but even then, you know, I, I feel like I, I wouldn't want to lose another kernel of the otherness. You know what I mean? That people see when they see that show and that other doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know, I, I, think, I, think, it, I think it matters. Uh, we'll go to James and then down to Amanda. I was just thinking like, you know, ultimately this is written by John Waters. So mm -hmm. like very much a person who has a lot of subversive ideas and a lot of craziness about him. And part of me thinks that one of the ideas of having um, Edna be a man dressed as a woman is almost a tribute to Divine. So it forces mm. all of these kids who are gonna see the movie for the first time, hopefully because of the Google world we live in, will do research and all of a sudden find out who this person named Divine was. So for John Waters, it's him paying homage to this huge person in his life and who he feels should go on and more people need to learn about. So I think it could be like a subversive way of John Waters working Divine into like middle America and into those small high schools that kids are gonna do the show. All of a sudden we're gonna have to look up and be like, wow, this is Divine or wow, this is John Waters and he did a lot of crazy things. Yeah. Um to go off of what uh, Lillian was saying, um, I actually wonder 
what could be gained if it was a woman playing Edna because of just what plus size women go through in this society and specifically the women who are plus size go through and you know what it what it's like for a mother to have a daughter who's also plus size and and what weight would that bring but i would love to see rupaul play motormouth all right uh we're gonna go to chris and then we'll start wrapping it up here i was just gonna say in this conversation um, I agree with Lillian's gut that there there is something important about having a woman or a trans woman in the piece. My thought is, what if we switch it up? What if Edna is played by a cis woman and Billy Porter plays Motormouth? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, my heart just skipped a beat. <laughs> If anyone watching this conversation hasn't watched Pose yet, both seasons are now on Netflix. If you don't know who Billy Porter is, do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor. All right. And with that, uh, we're going to wrap up this wonderful conversation. Uh, as the theme of today seems to be love is love. Thank you all for participating. And I'm going to pass it back over to our artistic director, Michael Weber. We hope you enjoyed this movie musical Monday podcast and that you'll join us live to participate in our next discussion. You'll find information about upcoming events on our website and how you can join in the conversation. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Movie Musical Mondays, I'm Michael Weber.